As health and wellness providers, we know that better patient outcomes require a whole person, multidisciplinary approach that we just can't provide on our own. That's why I've started the Wellness Center Creators Podcast. I'll be bringing you interviews with experts, tips, tricks, secrets, resources, systems, and solutions so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And creating your wellness center won't feel like starting over. Welcome back, everyone, to the Wellness Center Creators Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to take a moment to introduce our sponsor, Jane. Jane is an all-in-one practice management software with features like online booking, scheduling, documentation, and a PCI-compliant payment solution. The time you spend with your patients and clients is valuable, and filling out forms during their appointment can quickly take away from your time together. That's why the team at Jane has designed online intake forms that your patients can complete from the comfort of their homes. And to help them remember to fill out their forms, Jane has your back with a friendly email reminder sent 24 hours before their appointment. This means they arrive ready to start their appointment and you can arrive ready to help. Jane's online intake forms are fully customizable to ensure you're collecting everything you need ahead of time, whether that's a credit card on file, insurance billing details, or assigned consent. You can build your intake forms from scratch or use a template from Jane's template library and customize it further to meet your practice needs. If you're interested in learning more, head to jane.app guide or use the code wellness1mo at sign up to receive a one month grace period on your new account. Welcome back, everyone, to the Wellness Center Creators Podcast. Today on the show, we have a very special guest who is returning back to the show for the second time. Marco DeChantis is here with us again. Welcome, Marco. Thank you so much again, Kendall. It's been a beautiful transition since the last time I think we were speaking, which was over the summer. And uh, now we're in the midst of winter. So, uh, Besides the seasons, a lot have happened since then, and I'm, I'm more than uh, happy and, and grateful again to be here with you and to do another podcast. Wonderful. Well, we're excited to have you. Today, we're going to talk about new graduates in all sorts of you know modalities in the field of health and wellness, uh, but really about this experience of new graduates and what, what are the trends we're seeing and how we can support them as clinic owners and all the things. So. What are the current trends that you're seeing um, of those new graduates and how they're starting to practice, how they're starting out in their practice? So um, when I'm speaking about new grads, I'm particularly focusing on conservative therapists. So the big three um, in terms of chiropractic, massage, and physiotherapy, that we're not purposefully excluding any other of the uh, practitioners, um, such as kinesiologists, acupuncturists, or naturopaths, just to name a few. But the general trend, it used to be 10 years ago uh, when we were, when I was graduating, where do you go in the sense, oh, if you're graduating the school here, many people are going out east or out west because, for uh, for example, Calgary, the tar sands were 
quite a big thing. So everyone was heading out there because that's just where the general population was. Now in a post-COVID world, there's still a lot of transition, but we're not getting as much movement as we used to be. And the, the big factors are costs of actually running a clinic, and that is you're owning um, a clinic or starting a clinic, and the costs of supplies. So what we're tending to find out, what, what tends to be the, the trend is people are, are practicing for anywhere about a year or two in one spot and then transitioning to another location where they're trying to find the best fit for themselves or at yeah. least the marginalizing costs and then trying to optimize their own happiness within, uh, within the profession. So the days where someone would graduate, pick a spot and be there for 30 years, not not happening anymore. And obviously the another big trend is multidisciplinary clinics. And this became quite apparent um, during COVID. We need lots of services, many services in demand all at once. So you want to be in a place where you can have the your Batman utility belt with everything that you need right by your side to help in terms of um, patient management. Yeah, I agree. I'm seeing very similar trends in the United States. And for those who don't know, you're up in Canada. Um, what are the difficulties you're seeing? You know, let's say the new grad, new grads want to start their own practice. You know, what barriers are they running into as they're trying to do that, you know, right out of school? Funding. Absolutely. So you just come out, I mean, and this isn't anything new, um, coming out of a professional school or undergraduate, obviously there's going to be a debt load whether that's an emotional debt load, but usually, I mean, emotional for sure, the amount of stress we went through, but there's going to be that monetary debt load. And caring, you know, if you're going through professional school post um, undergraduate, that debt load can be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars by the time you get to practice. So the idea here is you want to start the, the, as soon as possible to start repaying and earning a living. Now, that usually means you need more money to start, to start a practice. So already with a heavy debt load, you're going to probably have to get further into debt just to be able to start to practice. So there's almost this stalling um, right now that I'm starting to see in terms of trends with with at least the conservative therapists that, that I vocalized, where they need to start doing other jobs or quote unquote side hustles just to start to support, to begin to practice with what they want to do as a career and, and, and focused on for the last two, four years of their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder what you're seeing as far as people coming out of school in these three modalities you mentioned. Are you finding that what the schools are teaching present day is different than, of course, when you went to school, when I went to school, or 10 years ago, or whenever? You know, what's the messaging? Because I'm I'm seeing a lot of trends here in our local area for counselors coming out of school, massage therapists coming out of school, acupuncturists, and there's a certain type of messaging that's happening, certainly post-COVID, but I think it started before that even, of recommending a certain path for the providers, right? And and there's there's sort of this ideology around like it's bad to work for someone else and they're going to take all your money and they're going to, it's going to be damaging. If you work at a clinic, they're going to be horrible, you know, and it, it's founded in people's bad experiences over time. Mm-hmm. Right. But I get curious what you're seeing for these, those three modalities you mentioned 
um, as far as the ideology and what's being taught and are people trending towards their own businesses right out of school, maybe in a different way than they were previously. Yeah, you hit the nail right on the head. That has been the message, particularly through the chiropractic college. Ten years ago, truth be told, and it's not about um, running the college through the mud, but we I literally only had 20 hours of quote-unquote business class. And, um, you know, two hours were speaking towards what colors you should paint the walls. And then, and then largely the, the other time was this is what a contractor contract should look like. So if you were going to be starting on your own, you really had very little to go on. You know, you come out um, with this experience in terms of the scholastic intelligence, but in terms of the business aspect of that, it was next to nil unless you were doing something on your own previous or, you know, had really close family or friends or, or, or uh, other contacts that could help support you that way. So what's been happening, particularly in the schools, is they're in, in the chiropractic college at the very least, is giving you business courses right from first year. So basic accounting, which is... That's amazing. Yeah, right. And I mean, it seems basic and it seems like, oh, we should already have this sort of instilled, but honestly, like a balance sheet, just to look at what are my costs? What like what do I need to sustain a month to month revenue? Am I in the green? Three to 5%. You want to like just certain things like this and enough years where you can actually practice this. So starting these basic accounting or business courses from first year, then developing them through the four years has been something incredibly, incredibly well needed and deserved. So when um, students come out, you don't have this huge drop off where five to 10 years ago for the chiropractic was by the time you're graduating classes five to 10 years out, 54 to 50% aren't practicing anymore. And that's yeah. for a variety of different reasons. But part of it was dissatisfaction with running a business because who knew how to do it? The other uh, aspect was definitely more self-ownership. And what I mean that is twofold, self-ownership in the sense of owning your own business, um, particularly post-COVID with utilizing virtual services. This has become a lot easier that way. And because doing virtual appointments, I'm Cairo uh, in massage, there'd be a certain extent on how that can happen. But with other uh, modalities, that can really subsidize your costs and lower your overhead. And also working with other groups, whether that is a multidisciplinary clinic or networking with other practitioners, just to help in terms of reference. So just opening up shop uh, on the corner in your town where you're just relying on street traffic or newspaper ads or radio ads is definitely the way of the dinosaur. So with these new trends, that can absolutely help in terms of creating business, sustaining a business and building your own business. Hence, this self-ownership of uh, taking your business in your own hand as opposed to being your own owner. Yeah, I agree 100%. I get curious, you know, you were talking earlier about the longevity of practice, you know, for all sorts of modalities in our in this health and wellness field, alternative healthcare, whatever we want to call it. Yeah. I'm curious your thoughts on... What what are the barriers to longevity? What are what what do you see as being successful in longevity? I feel like when I when I see someone staying in the field a long time, it's because they have a variety of what they're doing, and they've been able to to change and shift and do different things and continue to learn and be 
be practicing alongside people or have a community of people who support them and they don't work in isolation. And, and that's, it's specific to all modalities, but I've seen that specifically uh, also really uh, nuanced with mental health counseling in mm-hmm. particular. So I'm curious your thoughts on it. How I practice right here, right now is not how I did two years ago. It's not how I did five years ago. It's definitely not how it was when I graduated. And what I mean by that is not just the type of patients you focus on, but just pragmatically, you know, how you use your hands. Um, you've taken additional courses, you know, you added more services to your Batman utility belt using that analogy once again. And you're absolutely right. Focusing on how you practice, changing how you practice, changing even the location just instills that sense of adventure and exploration within your own discipline where it doesn't become stagnant. Because as soon as it becomes stagnant, then your overall happiness with it can start to suffer. So that doesn't mean every year or every two years you have to change your spot or, or add something new, but just like your vehicle, changing tires or changing the interior, maybe even changing the, the, the air freshener, changing your car every couple of years just keeps you excited about driving. And that's the, the, the whole idea here. Also, um, another impact that, that tends to uh, impact longevity is uh, just the physical demands of the practice. Now, every um, occupation has its cost benefit. Um, an accountant, um, some costs can be paper cuts or wrist issues. If you're a boxer, it's concussions. Um, for chiros or other manual therapists, it's your wrists, shoulders, and elbows. Um, and longevity can definitely be impacted depending on how you use your body. So being particularly mindful with your own physical wellness, and that can be mental, spiritual, uh, in addition to that as well, too, can really help with that overall longevity. You have to take care of yourselves. You can't be a hypocrite. I know we, and I'm absolutely sure you've heard this, where that practitioners can be the worst patients. And Practitioners are the worst patients. (laughs) We absolutely are. And just to keep our, I've seen cardiac surgeons just mowing burgers and like, Okay, well, I guess they know someone who can fix them in in five or 10 years, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to actually operate your body that way. So the longevity twofold, maintain your happiness within what it is that you do. And the variability in how you practice, I find can, can really help with that. And also really just maintaining your physical health in all respects uh, can keep you doing and going um, within your own discipline. I will also say, you know, from my perspective, there's something about staying the course, Mm -hmm. um, you know, as things shift and change around us too, because what I, what I saw happen a lot during the pandemic was providers making decisions you know, we always say in psychotherapy, like, don't make a big life decision when you're in a state of crisis, because mm-hmm. when you're out of the crisis, you'll regret it, you know, a lot of the time. And so what I've seen since the pandemic is that people feel like they're in a crisis a lot faster than they did previously. And that's all related to trauma responses and stress responses that our windows of tolerance are much smaller. So people are making changes more quickly, right? You were talking about earlier, right? They start one place and feel like, oh, well, this is, there's one thing that I didn't expect to happen here that's happening. And so I'm going to go ahead and quit. Split, yeah. 
I'm going to split and I'm going to do something else because I need to take care of myself, right? And I am the biggest believer in taking care of ourselves, but there's something about stepping back and getting some perspective and, and staying the course of like for the longevity of your career and you just went to all this schooling to do this work. And I mean, I watched people left and right leave the field, mm. you know, and, um, and so there's something about like, you know what, observing and noticing like, okay, the real impact and is this in alignment for me? Is it truly out of alignment? the place that I'm in now or in your own practice or with a group or whatever it is, or is it just a little bit hard, you know, right? You hit the, I mean, and I hope you don't mind. Um, every workplace doesn't matter where you are. There's going to be people that you don't necessarily get along with. Um, maybe, right. you know, there's people that you're going to get used to. Uh, uh, you know, maybe the, the room's too hot or there's no windows, yeah. right? Yeah. The, Think here, and I love how you use the term um, mindfulness. I love that. And I love using that with patients too, to bring that back to the self and say, okay, is this an actual hard no? And I think right. getting an idea of what hard no's or hard bailouts are where you pull the chute in the sense, okay, this is maybe a toxic work environment as opposed right. to, you know, it's, it's work. It, it, everything is not going to be right to my standard. Um, to to work here in, in terms of everything is hunky like plan a wedding where everyone is happy whether there's 10 people or a thousand people I don't even know if that's ever happened and it's yeah. not happened with a workplace <laughs> either so yeah getting hard nose would be a good idea for that yeah so what can we do to help these new grads what what do you feel like new grads wish they knew, you know, or should know, or what do you wish you knew? Uh, what are those kind of top three or five uh, nuggets of information? Good old clinical pearls, good old business pearls. Yeah. First and foremost, it's always hard. And someone will always want what you create or do. Every yes. year, it doesn't matter which of the, the the modalities. There's always a new crop, and guess what? There's there's going to be more and more every year because the colleges are businesses just as well, and they have expenses and they are increasing their enrollments. And I'm not just saying that it's a money grab, but I'm saying they're running a business. So there's always going to be new people. They'll always try to replicate. You're not doing anything new, and I know the whole idea is, oh, I got to do something different because then people will come and see me. Just be the best you can be. Dump doing something new or something novel, just like art. It's all been done before. You don't have to reinvent the wheel, maybe put a different spinner on it, but be the best wheel you can be. And naturally, patients will absolutely attract to that because once they resonate with that, they'll bring patients towards you. That's the greatest money builder that I always, or business builder, practitioner builder, you name it. Be the best you can. Know that the one person you're working with, it's not just doing a good job for them. It's the four to six people they'll refer. And once you have that instilled in your head, you're present. Now, it's not about seeing them as money signs, but it's about doing the best for the patient. The monetary will come. It takes time as always. But the a colleague once told me this, to go from zero to one is the hardest. But once, but once you get to that one, to go to 10, 
way easier. Yeah. I agree. And sometimes you'll go zero to one and then you go back to zero yeah. then you go back to one, then you go back to zero again. But once you get past the one, then it's yes. much easier. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my 0.9. Okay. Um, and then back to, but you're right. As soon as you get it really, it's, it's it kind of like the updated version of saying, Oh, you got to make a million. The first million is the hardest. Uh, you might not even reach it, but the whole idea is once you, you do that, there's a certain pattern that you can replicate within yourself and out yourself. And once you can do that, it is smoother sailing. Doesn't mean smooth sailing, but smoother sailing. Yeah. So Marco, tell us about your new business and how it can help new grads. Thank you. Um, so with Daphne Health Alliance, with DHA, what we're trying to focus on, or we're trying to focus on, our main focus is supplying new to recent grads. So graduates from right out of college to within the first three to five years of their career with subsidized, um, with spaces, clinical spaces with subsidized rent and and staffless practice options. And the whole idea here is instead of coming out and being a contractor or working within this clinic or, or paying this split or, or, or the, the astronomical costs with a heavy debt load in starting a new practice, you're getting your own space, much like in a barber shop, you have your own chair you're renting the chair, but you still maintain your own autonomy. And within that, it's a great foothold where there's less for you to focus on than just building your own practice. So being in really busy cities or busy towns that are underserved, which is another key aspect of, of Daphne Health Alliance, where the population that will access certain services is a lot higher than the practitioners that are there, gives you a better competitive um, edge. And you don't need to invest as much. And not saying social media isn't worthwhile, but social media is a consistent and expensive way to build a practice, particularly out of practice. So underserved populations with less competition, with subsidized rent, and with staffless practice sets you up as an owner where you can really start to earn and then offset costs, pay back debt load, and hit the floor running. And truth be told, this is the whole idea. It's yes, I'm, I'm running a business, but I'm, I'm, I'm here to, to, I, I want to help. Yeah. And the whole idea here is this is the best way that I found for being out of practice or sorry, being out of school for 10 years, um, to help the new grads and particularly by being a mentor with the Ontario Chiropractic Association, um, with the naturopathic college, irrespective of, of, of how these practices are. It's the same sort of requirements and DHA is here to provide the best we can to meet your demands here and now and in the near future. Well, it's an amazing resource, an amazing environment that you're building and have built. And um, I really, I've seen this model uh, done a few different ways around yeah. the U.S. and I've seen it done for counseling. And I've always said, like, if I wasn't running a, a clinic, you know, that was with an entire staff and is, that's a different type of business. I would, I would run a model like that, right? It's, and, and Vancouver Wellness Studio started very similarly to that. It was creating a space for everyone to rent a room and create opportunity to teach about growing your business and not having to do it alone. And, um, and I think it's really, really supportive. It's, 
needed uh, for all types of providers. So I celebrate you uh, and I congratulate you and tell people where Daphne Health Alliance is located, where they could find an option and how do they, how do they work with you in that way if they'd like to. Absolutely. So they can always visit DaphneClinics.com. Our first location just got up right now in Belleville, Ontario. Um, we're in the midst of, con- of, of building out the unit. Um, it's a s- historic building, a beautiful brick on the outside, bay windows. We're going to have five to six treatment rooms to begin with, with a reception area, even though um, only if um, um, renters choose to have their own reception, the option is available with an actual rehab space. Future locations look like they're going to be in and around Northern Ontario, but we are looking to expand across Canada and fingers crossed. And this is possibly just slightly early for me to get into, but it looks like we're going to have our second location in Rotterdam in the next week to two. So it's not just a local North American, but we're absolutely looking to build this globally. Um, There's nuances in the sense of how that can happen in Europe versus North America, but there's still pra- the same practitioners all around the, the world with literally the same issues. So DHA is here to help everyone around this planet. <laughs> Marco, thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much, Kendall, and always a pleasure as well. And thank you for your support. And um, yeah, thank you again. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to the Wellness Center Creators Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please visit our website at wellnesscentercreators.com for more show notes and additional episodes. By the way, I love hearing from listeners. Please send me an email at Kendall, K-E-N-D-A-L-L at wellnesscentercreators.com with your feedback. And if you send me a question, maybe I'll read it on the show, anonymously, of course. Thanks so much again for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Wellness Center Creators Podcast.